0: What's up, guys? It's Bradley with the Insurance Guys podcast. Hey, look, recently I actually got two more days out of my month. If you know me and you know how tight my schedule is, me getting two more days is huge, and I'm going to tell you how I did that. I did that with CoverDesk. Guys, this is not a testimonial, even though they are a sponsor. It's not a testimonial. It's not a made-up story. This is a real-life story. Me as a new agency owner, obviously, my business organization chart... I fill 80% of the seats, right? Well, one of the things that I do because I wanted to make sure that my people get paid right is I reconcile all my commission statements for all my carriers. And literally, guys, when it comes around payroll time, it takes two whole days for me to reconcile for the agency and reconcile for my agents. And I recently trained my CoverDesk virtual assistant on how to reconcile the agency commissions for my management system, which I'll say is not a popular management system. It's a newer management system. And I was able to train her how to do that. Literally, guys and gals, it bought me two extra days in the month. I could get two more days of production, get two more days with my family. Think about what you could get from two days. That's what this service from CoverDesk has provided me. Give CoverDesk a call or head over to www.coverdesk.com. Thanks.
1: Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a 6'3 sophomore from Sarah Land, Alabama, parade first team, all-American rivals, five-star recruit, he is a fantastic insurance agent and a great american ladies and gentlemen please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable mr bradley flowers how are you bradley excited scott man i am fired up guys let me tell you what i did last night bradley our guest sent us an email don't know when it was can't remember a couple of days ago don't know so i go to bed last night about 11 o'clock and uh three o'clock in the morning i sit up straight in my bed i'm like Ken, i'm not sleepy i'm gonna get up so i go in the den pull up my laptop because you and i were podcasting all day yesterday i didn't get a lot of work done right and That's probably I'm why getting, you didn't sleep good yep probably and i'm answering a bunch of emails and looking at a bunch of stuff and I knew we were going to interview him today and I see this email and I open it up and I see that there's two videos on there from his sales training program that he had sent us. They were, I think they were question and answer kind of sessions that he had done. I I can't remember the program it was on, but so I clicked start on the first one. Bradley, would you like to know what time I went back to bed? What time? 6 (laughs) a.m. I watched those two damn videos for three freaking hours last night. It was session one and two, and then there was three and four on there as well. I could see
0: you just sitting there like every time he says something you agree with, you like grunting or something like, mm, yeah, how you do.
1: I was like, mm, mm, At one point, I stopped the video, went back to the email, and I forwarded it to all of my agents, and I said, I can show you the email. I said, if you want to be better at your job, watch these two videos. I swear I did. I've had about four hours of sleep, three hours of sleep right now.
0: Speaking of sleeping, you know what Aaron Robertson told me this week? Aaron was on vacation down here, and he and I met Nick Berry for dinner. And Nick Berry was down here uh, as well for dinner. And we were talking about – we told Aaron's – wife, or not Aaron's wife, Nick's wife, the story about when you and Aaron bunked together at 8% last year. And Aaron said, you want to hear a funny thing about that story? I said, what's that? He said, I woke up at like 2 o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom He said, Scott was dead asleep, mouth open, catching flies. And I go in the bathroom and I hear Scott say, clear as day, man, did you see that picture I sent you? And he said, I thought, is that something got awake already? Was I talking in my sleep? Yeah. He said, I walked back in there and Scott was dead asleep. Just, man, did you see that picture I sent you?
1: Dude, I'm a vampire. (laughs) I I mean, when I go to sleep, before I go to sleep, I have to take all the sleep medication. I've been known to drink half a bottle of NyQuil to help me sleep. If not, I might only sleep 34 hours a night. And part of that's just all the stuff I've been going through with this transition to independent and all this crazy stuff I've been doing. But guys, without further ado, I want to bring our guest on today. We got a lot of things we need to cover with him today. Our mission on this podcast every single week never changes. We want to provide value to you, agents. And as I always say, we want you to get off the podcast, take two or three nuggets that we give you, walk in your agency, and hopefully implement them and help grow your agency and move the ball one step forward to greatness. I'm excited and proud to have this gentleman on the podcast today. I don't give a damn what you do in insurance, you ain't done much more than he's done. It's my time to give him the introduction that he has always deserved. He is originally from Buckeye, Louisiana. He currently resides in Edmond, Oklahoma, and he is married to the beautiful Heather. He moved to Oklahoma to become an insurance agent after a long career in law enforcement. And starting from scratch, he built a $16 million agency in 10 years with State Farm and they ain't many some bitches ever done that folks <laughs> becoming one of the top 10 auto and fire producers for the largest captive insurance company in the country earning countless awards and accolades kirk has been a highly sought after speaker of the insurance industry for many years for his creation of solutions with accountability tactics swat and and this is what we're going to talk a lot about today guys the 12 step yellow brick road insurance phone sales system that my ass stayed up for three freaking hours last night watching. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor to introduce to you, first time on the Insurance Guys podcast, Mr. Kirk Fuquay. How are you, Kirk?
2: Man, I am wonderful. Long-time listener, first-time
1: caller. I'm so excited to be with you guys. Great intro as normal. Uh, let me tell you something. I am so humbled and proud to have you here. What you have accomplished in the insurance industry, there ain't many folks accomplished, my man. I wish you'd come tell my wife that would make it a little easier right now. <laughs> Well, same same here. Maybe we need to, you fly to Oklahoma. And, or I fly to Oklahoma and yeah. you fly to Huntsville. There you go. Uh, let's just talk first and foremost your story is very compelling to me yeah. and i like people with a compelling story so let's jump in my delorean now there's two big old boys jumping in the delorean right here Man, you better put some extra air in those tires absolutely let's jump in the delorean for a second and take us back in time how you got in the industry and give us about a three to five minute summation of how you got to sitting in that chair today after going to college to
2: play football and getting a great opportunity there to meet my beautiful wife, Heather, you discussed there. She was a cheerleader there and I played football when I was much skinnier and uh, was in criminal justice. So I got a master's and bachelor's in criminal justice. I thought I wanted to be a DEA agent. That was my goal or FBI agent and started working at a place called West Moreau police department at West Moreau, Louisiana. If you guys have ever seen the TV show duck dynasty, it's where it's filmed. My wife actually went to high school with Willie from the show there. I was a police officer there for, Seven years, detective in narcotics for five of those years. So I had a really unique background doing that and really diverse. And police work was a lot different then than it is now. I'll tell you what, I really, it's really a challenge out in the world today, what's going on. But, you know, back when I was doing it, it was uh, definitely educational. So I I learned a lot about human beings and how to communicate with them in every, I guess, every type situation you can imagine, you know, from murderers down to somebody who stole a bike. You know, I dealt with them and had cases associated with it. And I love what I did. Lived on adrenaline, didn't have kids. And it was a good time back then. So did that for a long time. My wife came in one day and said, hey, we need to buy a house because I was living in an apartment for free that I'd actually called a kind of a weird thing to say. But a serial rapist in this actual apartment, in a nice apartment in town. And they didn't think that they could uh, lease out the apartment. So they asked me to live there for free. I was like, heck, yeah, I live in a nice apartment in town for free until about... A year later, I'm having the whole jury walk through my apartment. You know, it's kind of weird uh, <laughs> for the trial. But he ended up, uh, like I said, ended up, we called him, and so it was a good thing. We got that done. She come in. She wanted to buy a house. Like, what are you talking about, buy a house? We live here for free. And she said, I want to go to anesthesia school. She was a nurse. She wanted to go ner- be a nurse anesthetist. And so I quit police work cold turkey, man, to chase after what was important to her. And uh, we moved. I couldn't be a police officer and not live where I live. So we moved two hours away from Westmoreland, Louisiana to Shreveport, Bossier, Louisiana. When I moved there, I actually moved about a mile away from a state farm agent by the name of Tag Rome, uh, who ironically recruited me to play football uh, in college. So I've known him since I was 17. I ended up transferring my business to him and doing that. And he had a nice business. I was like, man, how do you do this? And uh, he gave me some pointers and then off I went on trying to pursue the opportunity there, but I didn't have any sales experience. so. I went to work for this little company you guys might know uh, called Progressive and Claims. And oh my God, I am not a claims dude. And I figured that out fast. Did not enjoy that. Next, to get my sales experience, I did a little bit of, of debit insurance. You guys ever heard of that? You oh, yeah. talk about that on the podcast. Debit route. <laughs> I was an agent there and then a, a manager for six years, actually, in a debit company. Had about so we're, talking, we're talking life insurance, right? The debit. We're talking, we're talking in the same neighborhoods I was going uh, as a police officer with all my SWAT team guys. what about five of us going into the same one to step and walk around with a bag of cash, about $3,000 of cash, knocking door to door, running around collecting about $20,000 a month and have to sell more life insurance than what you didn't collect on people that unfortunate maybe had got a first or third check or something like that. So it was a definitely interesting transition to the life of sales. And one of the biggest things I learned as a police officer, without a doubt, like I said, was how to communicate with people, how to read people, and how to really understand them. And in this job, doing this, I had great success as a manager there. We were either number one, or number two in the nation every year in my staff that I had. But what I really learned from that experience is how to not sell from my own perspective what I thought they could afford or not. It wasn't my decision. It's my decision or my job to help them discover the problems, just present it to them, and let them make the true choice if they could afford it or not, not me do that. And the other thing I really learned in that job was how to drive results through others by having an eight-man staff that worked on me. So learned that and then um, started getting opportunities within that organization and go upward. But I still had that dream of chasing the agency to be my own business owner. Interview with State Farm, they said no to me five times. So five glorious times until eventually a gentleman by the name of uh, Kevin Garrett, who's a sales leader in Oklahoma City, who's from Louisiana, called me up and gave me an opportunity to come to Edmond, Oklahoma place I didn't know one single person had never even drove through Oklahoma to come and start a new market or scratch captive insurance agency. Good times. <laughs> and off I went.
1: So I want to ask you this question, Kirk, because I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. So you made it – when you say five times, are you saying you made it through the agency owner pool thing where you're qualified, but then when it came time – for these agencies that would come up for, you know, whether somebody died or retired or whatever, every time you went for one, they, they picked somebody else.
2: Yeah. Actually went to the interview, went in, they picked somebody else. So what I figured out real fast is that they know who they're going to hire before they walk you walk in.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: So that was the reality of it. So, and the funny thing about it, the good thing about it now, every single one of those places that said no to me have all paid me to come back to come speak. So I don't hold a grudge at all about that. So,
0: Sure you don't. Not a bit. (laughs) A good buddy of mine one time told me, "Always make sure you get the last laugh." Yeah. (laughs) Don't get. In other words, don't get too upset when people do you wrong or pass you over. Just make sure you get the last laugh. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that drove me a lot, and
2: you know what I did every
0: day. And you know, I got started. I
2: didn't know anything, man. I didn't know anything. I was thrown out in the woods. You know, I didn't know anything about the computer system, how to get it going. I didn't know anything. I just figured it out, just tried to get it done. And I bought internet leads like crazy, thinking that was going to be the answer back then. And man, next thing you know, State Farm came out with a subsidy uh, that they did to start supplementing for leads and giving the the insurance lead companies like $4 for every single name that they would send them, no matter what happened. So I went from getting like 100 internet leads to getting 500 overnight. It was weird. I don't know how that happened. And (laughs) all of a sudden, they found more people to give me. And my closing percentage went crazy and I was, I was doing really well. You know, we were doing hundred to 150 items or apps a month in Oklahoma where nobody was doing that. And I was going all over the country to speak and teach about that process already from my, my third, fourth month in the agency, they started asking me to speak and doing all the stuff, talking about the things we were doing. And so we were having success on paper. I was traveling at the highest level, you know, getting all the stuff that you need to all the accolades and getting asked to go speak do all that. But by the time I got to my third year, reality started setting in of the economics of this deal, so i was over marketing overspending and producing and everything looked great on paper and getting asked to go all over but the reality was i was three hundred thousand dollars in debt and had to borrow like forty five thousand dollars from my mother-in-law
0: mm-hmm. just to make
2: payroll had uh three opportunities to go on leadership then my whole deal was i didn't <laughs> i did not want to do that i felt like uh If I was going to do that, I didn't want to go and go into leadership and be that guy who had broke his business and go try to tell somebody else how to fix it. So the recommendation that some of my, my close mentors, I recommended that I go on this pilgrimage that I call it, where I go around the country to some of the top agents to kind of sit back and truly evaluate the mistakes I've made, economically especially, and to kind of restructure myself from there. And that's what I call my evolution, where I literally recreated myself start to finish, and everything changed for me from that point forward. I came in, implemented, literally recreated everything start to finish from who turned the lights off to who submitted auto to who followed up on auto to who cleaned the toilets. Everything I literally wrote out in detail on a whole entire process and system and came back, told my team, said, hey, we're not buying any more internet leads anymore. We're going to do these three pillars of success uh, that I told them, and we're going to focus on referrals. And we're going to take this and see what we can get out of it. And the first month I did it, I doubled my production. I went from spending 5000 a month on marketing to 500 went from writing 150 apps to writing 300 apps the very first month I did it. And everything changed for me from that point forward when I took the leap of faith to try something different and not just follow along with everybody else was doing.
0: What were some of the things, some of the real big things you think you were doing wrong?
2: So the biggest thing I was doing wrong was I was overspending on marketing and not getting to all of them and and really effectively working each of those leads. So they were coming so fast, we would call them once, maybe twice. But then when we did do it, we wouldn't maximize that phone conversation, wouldn't get more than one or two products out of it, wouldn't get financial services. And the worst part of it was, we weren't creating experience for doing anything to extract referrals from it. So our marketing dollar was going much shorter road than if I was extracting referrals, which is a 40, Mm -hmm. 45% closing rate. I went from about a 15 to 16% closing rate. Then the subsidy came and increased my volume. I went to like 2 or 3% closing rate overnight. And in third year of that new market contract, what happens to your premium builder, right? That falls out to my wife. The other part of it, my wife's a nurse. We have a five-year plan for her to work during these five years of starting the business, right? But note to self, just for all the insurance agents out there, people that are thinking about doing it, don't start having babies your first year starting a business. Just <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> so October the first year, we had the first one, 15 months later, the second one, so her five-year work plan turned into two. So I'm negative at home, negative at the office. But it really came to those efficiencies, maximizing every call, maximizing every lead, and getting the biggest result in extracting referrals. That was the biggest mistake
0: that I made. Yeah. And we talked about that in an earlier podcast. I think a mistake a lot of agents make that are able to get a lot of leads and a lot of prospects is – they get to an overwhelmed point to where about the only way you can work those leads is to call them one time, present the quote, and never follow back up.
2: And I think my biggest thing was I was scared to death to let go of them. And I call it the Thelma and Louise effect. Remember in Thelma and Louise when they're driving off the cliff, just because I want to win so bad. It's just entrenched. I just, oh, I just want to win. I, if I stop buying them, then we're not going to produce them. I'm not going to be at the front the front of the leaderboard. I'm not going to be doing that stuff. People – and it's just like, it seemed like a destiny if I didn't keep doing it. But when I really stepped back and was honest with myself, because one of the things I always say, the biggest problem the majority of us have is in the mirror. And the only solution is in the mirror. When I was honest with myself and looked at my business and said, you know what, I got to do something different here, or I'm not going to be able to feed my family, and, you know, I have to roll over and then go into leadership and not do, what, you know, really what I came to, this deal to do, which is be a business owner. I took a leap of faith in the difference in a process. And so what I try to tell people all the time is you, you know, it might be a little uncomfortable at first, but if you can find that there is a different way to do it than what the majority of people do it and which is just selling on price to sell them once and trying to spend money to get that next lead.
1: Hey, Kurt, you mentioned the three pillars of success. What are those? So I believe in the concept of pop is
2: what I call it. Process, opportunity, and pace. So without process, you have nothing, right? Processes before people and before anything. You could have the New England Patriots, but if you didn't have a playbook that's uh, effective, then they wouldn't be as good as they are now, right? So the process is always first, and I always recommend build that. Opportunity is the fuel that goes into that process. So I say process is like the race car. Opportunity is like the fuel that goes into it, which is the leads, the marketing, or whatever you do to maximize that result. And then lastly is pace, which is that accountability for that process, okay? And so in that P, that first P or that process is where those three pillars live, right? And the first pillar is what we do when we're over the phone with somebody, which is in essence, this YBR, this yellow brick road process. That's number one. Uh, second is what we do when we're face to face with that customer to create that experience because every part of this whole experience that I teach and share and do is all about getting to the end or the third pillar, which is the extracting referrals. So every interaction leads to either cancellation or referrals and there is no in between. So we have that mentality or that culture that everything we're going to do is about creating this unique, different experience for the customer to where at the end of it, they want and feel like they're obligated to give us referrals. But all we have to do is just ask the right way. And that's what I was able to master and figure out and share all around the country for the last eight
1: years. That's fantastic. Let's talk for just a moment. And I've got so many things I want to talk to you about today but I do want to briefly mention and talk a little bit about what I watched last night for three hours, the yellow brick road. From what I saw last night, you did a fantastic job of taking and explaining. And then throughout the sales process, starting with picking up the phone and answering the phone, you used open-ended questions, but then you already had the answers to those questions regardless of what they said, you know, on the program. So over time, if you're an agent and you're utilizing that system, you know, you, you're you going to know before they even answer or when they answer exactly what you're going to say back to them. Exactly.
2: And I'm going to know, and you're going to know what they're going to say, which is even more powerful. Right. This whole conversation was really born around helping those agents or, or team members or staff members that struggle with the concept of selling on value, especially, considering that the whole world is conditioning them to be about price. Right. So I took that whole mentality of that and how that can affect them by if they come on in pro- for price, that's the reality. If they come on for price, you're going to probably lose them on price. Right. Or even worse, you don't even get them in the house. So that's where this whole thing started, because as you know, in a captive world, I was uncompetitive all the time, right. you know, but still was able to, had to find a way to sell so now in the independent world, it's super easy when you apply this to it because you have that range of, it's all about eligibility. That's all that's ever mattered to me is eligibility. Prices never mattered at all to me with this process. It's really irrelevant because one of the things we don't do is we don't do an apples-to-apples apples quote. We don't copy the mistakes of other agents. We're going to take the customer down a path, a prospect down a path, to create this custom unique watermelon, I'll call it. So it's not an apples-to-apples apples quote. We're comparing watermelons to apples. And so what I did through this conversation is I took – all those years of experience of interviewing interrogations with the most craziest criminals or situations you can imagine and applied the techniques that I learned about human nature and about physical responses and listening to the things in their voice and how the utilization of open-ended questions by doing actually small setup statements that really put them in a position where I can 100% predict their responses. Right. And script that all accordingly. So like most people you see, they have a script that's like two pages, right? This is literally like thirty seven hundred pages of Word document that I've tied together into this system. It's a, a over a thousand alternate ending create your own story deal. And it's just what I call follow the Yellow Brick Road where you stay out uh, you know, out of trouble. And and if you want I can explain that why I call it the Yellow Brick Road. But this is what I do when I I mean go all over the country. I just randomly pick people out of the crowd and role play with them. I say, Dare you to beat me. Good luck. Because if I'm in control of the conversation, I know I'm not going to get beat because I know I'm going to ask a question and I can predict your response. And I'm prepared for every one of those. And that's what I try to share with people. And it was just hard to get them to understand that for so long till I came up with a product like this to be able to make it easier for them to do it.
1: Let me tell you what I loved about it. I loved a lot of things about it because I always say, Mike Stromso always says, big door swing on little hinges. Yeah. And I think with a lot of insurance sales professionals, people who have been in the industry for some time and have had some success with sales, if they would have an open mind and take your training and implement it and just tweak a lot of what they're already doing and then implement your your open question Mm -hmm. philosophy, I'll give you an example. How many times does a, a great salesperson answer the phone and say, Hey, Mr. Jones, how you doing today? Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm talking about, yeah. right?
2: And wow, what a, what a terrible question. And why wow, this is such a bad question to ask because you can't predict the response that the customer is going to give. Exactly. So my whole deal is I call the conversation like this teapot, right? right? So this teapot builds up with pressure and it's our job to control as that heats up when you release the pressure on that prospect and allow them to answer in a time that's really makes more sense to us. If you let them answer any time before that, the first response that's going to come out of their mouth because their condition as a human being is going to be, no, thank you. Good to go. I'm happy with it or whatever. It's going to go hold it or how's your day. Or it's going to be, Oh man, my day sucks. This happened that." And then how do you come back from that? Right. So you've got to be able to control that. That's like one of the biggest mistakes a lot of people make is doing that because they allow them to release that pressure. It's like a bottle rocket without the stick on it. Right. It can right, just right. go all over the place and you can't control it.
1: So agents, the 250,000 insurance agents listening to this, the correct way to call somebody. Now guys, we're talking about, we're out of the gate here. We've all just said hello to each other. We ain't even gotten into anything else. He teaches that the correct way to do that is to say, hey, Miss Jones, I hope you're having a great day today. Is that correct? Am I right yeah. about that? Yeah,
2: if they have to say it, because it's, it's a habit that's hard for people to break.
1: Right, and then throughout the sales process, everything is an open-ended question that he already knows it can only be one of three, four, or five responses. And if you can remem- memorize those four or five responses, it just takes you down the yellow brick road, which I assume ends with a sale, right? Or no. <laughs> yeah. That's
2: how, you know, that was the deal. So, so, so long, I'm going around the country teaching this and doing that and explaining this and doing it, role-playing it. People are taking notes to do it. And that became the challenge because it's so simple and easy for me to do it. It's just natural for me to do it. And if they could do it 25% as well as I could, they had great success, like doing 100 items all, like all over the country and doing that all day, every day. What I needed to do was find an easier way to implement that in. And so I, this is really version 2.0 of this. The first time that I did this was with a company called Today App. And I actually, they was the first company I ever saw that had scripting, which was a compensation plan. It's really for captives and stuff Have that. But had a scripting function in them i saw the guys out of a big speaking engagement i was doing in california and i saw their programs like man if i could put my scripts in there that'd be awesome well the way that i made them the first time they all ran in a straight line so the conversation goes in a straight line as it comes down gets to that open-ended question that i asked and i would call those scrimmage points and i would have to practice and role play with people to teach them how to deal with the scrimmage points and it took a lot of time on morning role plays or teaching or training them come to training to teach them how to deal with what if they say this? Cause I literally go, okay, what could they possibly say? Let's talk about it. Right. Okay. This is what you say here, 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 here. And then we get good at it. But then when I finally figured out a way to put in a program to where I could actually split off all those scrimmage points and script them out and they loop right back to the yellow brick road, right where we want to be. Then it was a game changer because then there's no sales skill needed anymore to be successful. Like, You know how you're always looking for that salesperson or a sales personality that you're looking for? Now you don't even really have to have that if they could just read, it does all that for them. It's it's the craziest thing I ever created. It took me a a lot of time, 10 years of development, but a lot of sleepless nights typing all this stuff up, man.
1: I want to ask this question because my agency is pretty heavy in commercial. Mm -hmm. Do you think you can utilize this in commercial or is commercial just a different animal? Because when you do a personalized quote, you know, you can kind of that, 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 right down the road and you kind of know where you're headed. Right. Commercial's a little bit different animal. Do you think it would work in commercial?
2: Yeah. So for sure. So I'm working on the commercial scripting now. Here's what's not going to change. You ready? No matter what human beings, they're not going to change Right. the way they respond and the way that they're predictable. If you say like, I literally say statements two or three statements ahead of time Right. That paints people in a corner where there's no other way that they could say it different than what I'm going to say to them. Right. That principle still applies. The only thing that changes is the information you are gathering. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change building a rapport, connecting them, creating a relationship, and making it feel like it's their choices and not yours, and having them tell you what's important to them. That's right. all I'm doing through the deal. I'm, I'm not telling them what's important. I'm not closing them. It's them going through the conversation and kind of restructuring it in a way where it's all about them and me. And you always hear that stories sell, right? right? The reality is, is what really sells is when you have that prospect tell you a story of something that affects them, then I'm just the order taker in that. Okay, cool. What if I could give you this to take care of that? Would that be something you want? Hmm? Right. Maybe maybe not. And it's their choice, 100%, you know? So that's how it's all structured. So it, it should work the same, just different basic technical information gathering. But the feeling is the same.
0: Talk a little bit about, the expectation you would set for new team members that came in. And because you set that expectation that then became the expectation. That's correct. So that,
2: that's a great one. The first person through this process, I had to do a hundred apps in a month. That's raw new apps, no edits, none of that kind of stuff. That's brand new chopping down trees apps. They did it the first month. They were sitting about three days before the end of the month and they stopped making calls. And I called them and I go, what, what are you doing, man? Why'd you stop making calls? I'm like, man, I'm at like 85 apps. I'm killing it. Don't bother me. I was like, okay, man, look, hey, you got to keep the, the funnel going. The next day, you know, he didn't make any calls again. He called him in. It's like, man, I'm at, I'm at like 95 apps, dude. I'm killing it. I was like, dude, you got to keep calling or your funnel's going to run out. What are you talking about? Well, by the time we got to the third day, he had hit 100, and I called him in again and said something about it to him. And guess what? He got mad and actually physically started crying. He was mad. And he left and stormed out, whatever. And so uh, what do you think he did the next month? How many apps do you think he did the next month? 100? No, he did 30. <laughs> 30? He went from doing 100 and he did 30 the next month because he stopped doing what made him successful. Yeah. So that became the culture and the expectation. That taught me the first time because my whole deal was that if one person can do it, why can't you do it? You know, if this agent in Texas can do it, then why can't I do it in Edmond, Oklahoma? There's no difference. There's no difference. And it became the same expectation within my organization. So if one person can do it before, then why can't everybody do it? Right. And once you do that, it's just process as you do it and you stay consistent with it and it's going to happen. It becomes a math equation. So I, I had that culture expectation at all times that 100 apps is what we get. Awesome. You're at 85. Great job, man. Only 15 more to go. So that culture and that creation of that culture is in the leadership. And so many agents out there that I see, they allow that culture to get turned down because of themselves. Right. When you hold that steady expectation, then everybody in the, on the ship is going to really follow in line, right? But when you waver from that expectation, for example, with, back in the state farm days, you know, we had probably one of the most significant rate decreases and worst underwriting years in the history uh, several years ago. And if I would ever wavered from that to say, hey, you know what, guys, you know, probably 75 is good, I'd have killed my entire culture. So it's all about creating that culture of expectation of whatever it is you want and not letting go of it.
1: Hey, I heard one time, somebody told me, an agent told me one time, he said, if you're in the insurance business, you're an insurance agency owner, your agency's either one of two things. You've either got a sales culture or a service culture.
2: That's right. It's Mm -hmm. one or the other. Yep.
1: And obviously, when you started with a 100 app count qualification or, or what you expected every month, you created from the beginning... A sales culture rather than a service culture.
2: When I did that, was that third year when I was broken? I just had that expectation. One, I had to pay my house note, man. Right. Get <laughs> these guys to do it, and I got really sick of paying them their paycheck and me writing a check three times what what I was paying them into the deal to be their boss. That's bullcrap, and I didn't like that. So I had to create that expectation. But once it became culture, then it happened over and over and over again. So like just short of 160 times in an individual month, I've had sales rep do over a hundred apps. Every single sales rep I've ever had have done over hundred apps. That's the expectation That's what we do. You know, I put 13 people in the agency in 10 years and all around me like blocks from me and everybody like, Oh, when that person leaves, you guys are done, whatever next man up. And you know why I just kept being next man up because I have process. Right. And that's why I talk about Bulletproof. Once I had that, they could come and go, man. it just kept on turning and kept on making because that playbook, that Bill Belichick playbook or whatever was there. And after that point, then I'm unbeatable, you know, when it comes to that stuff. And I can put me on any corner with a
1: laptop and a cell phone. We can make it work. So what do you do today? And I, I want these agents to listen to this from a, you know, we talked a little bit about how you nearly marketed yourself into bankruptcy, right? You spent so much money and you weren't getting the return of investment versus the money that you were putting in. But what do you do today in terms of lead? generation to get these agents their hundred apps a month i mean besides referrals i mean obviously that's a big part of it but yeah anything else
2: yeah well here's what i'll tell you the process that i've created especially in the ybr 12 steps it only needs one thing to be successful only one thing you ready it's a secret i'm gonna tell her somebody say hello that's all i need if they say hello i'm in the game so I don't care where it comes from. It could come from a car lot. It could come from a mortgage broker. It could come from cold calling. It could come from internet lead. It could come from anything. But the whole point is if they say hello, I'm in the game because I know how to have a great opening statement, how to overcome any of those initial objections, how to drive a wedge, create doubt, make them interested in what I have to say and how to keep them along to where it becomes important to them to make the switch. So with that, all I need is for them to say hello. And if they say hello, we're off. So, for me, social media marketing now, especially in the independent world, just focusing on that, creating the opportunities in that, the referral relationships there. But here's the thing, no matter what, and this is the principle I live by, no matter what, every interaction ends with referral opportunity, right? So it's either cancellation or referral and there is no in between. So no matter what we do get, we extract referrals from it. And the referral machine process that I call it, I mean, we extract on average, on you know, a face to face, 10 names on average of new telephone names and numbers with a simple, consistent process that I teach and over and over and over and close those 45 plus percent. So it gets to where I have so many of those, I really don't even need that. So early on, when people come to work for me and coming in, I have structured an organization of where their job titles are and they work their way up through those job titles and what they do early on, they might make two or 300 phone calls a day to get the results that were needed. Right. But as they evolve through the organization and through the process, they start making 15 or 20 phone calls a day and doing 100 plus apps a month because they're more efficient. Closing rates are off the chart. I've had kids that's worked for me have 85% closing rates. Like literally, if they talk to you, you're going to give them a credit card. It's done. Right. Right. You know, right. and it's a lot of that is because they've created centers of influences or they're created, you know, working their referrals and the referrals and things that they're working is really the higher level stuff because they've learned that and then maximize it through that conversation
1: that's proven itself over and over. You know. Dude, that's amazing. Thank God. I love you. You've kind of cracked that code, you know, for years. There's always been this this yin and a yang between uh, our salespeople made or our salespeople born, you know. And some people, you know, you listen, read all these damn books. I've read every damn one of them. Those damn people will say, well, you can't make a great salesperson. You got to, they're born. And then some people will say, you can make a great salesperson. But what you've done with your course is you kind of dummy proofed it. Now, maybe based on different closing ratios, somebody who was already the personality type to be a natural salesperson right. is going to hit that 85%. Right. But at least the person that was a 20% might be a 50% now. So this
2: is what I call it kind of the differences. So I'm going to kind of go through two things here. So the first thing is, When I'm looking for these people, there's really three things I'm looking for. I call them the three C's, right? They need to be coachable, competitive, and have capacity. That's what I'm looking for. If they've got that, I can teach them everything else. Right. But they're coachable where they're listening to what I have to say, right? They're competitive where no doesn't hurt them, and they have the drive to pick up the phone and want to be something. Like, I grew up in a trailer. My dad's a mechanic in the backyard. Driven me my whole life to be successful, right? Because I wanted to get out of that small town and to be able to do something. And then have, have the capacity to be able to do, like, Can you talk on the phone and quote and do it accurately, you know, and do all this stuff at the same time you have to do. So that's some of the testing I do before they come in there. But with this system, the difference, when you talk about that salesperson being born, the reality is those salespeople, what makes them good is their ability to come to the forks in the road and to be able to dance their way, kind of like the scarecrow back and forth, like I say on the Wizard of Oz, down that path, whatever the customer takes them. Right. Right. And then, or they're walking around kind of with that old school paper map of that Atlas. Right. So what I was able to create was a GPS. Imagine the difference between having an atlas and trying to get somewhere or that GPS is telling you turn by turn, watch out, there's traffic here, go this direction, turn here. And that's what I was able to create. And it's the craziest thing ever that I've done it, but that's what I've done. So it makes it where that innate ability to tap dance isn't as important, but it's great if you have it as long as you stay coachable and stay within within the realm. You can, And it's not like a a strict stringent, I am a robot, reading a script, which is the biggest thing a lot of people are scared of. I don't want to sound like a robot, Kurt. And this is kind of what I always say. is like, you know, do you see your favorite actor in your favorite movie standing up there reading a script? You know, standing, holding it up and reading it? No, they internalize it and learn it, and they wing it to some of the places, and that's okay. But it's just those steps, that 12-step, one, two, three that you get. The most important thing about this whole conversation is when you get to there, that you ask that open-ended question exactly the way I put it. That's the only thing that they can escape. Because if you can say something, if I say, hey, when's the last time you reviewed your policy? Never. Right, but wait, how open could that be when you ask it? Like right. That, they right. could say, uh, well, I did last week when I added a car, when I called in, whatever. But when I say, when was the last time you sat down with your agent and reviewed your policy in detail, then I take all those other ones away to where right. they're like, "Uh, shit, probably never. Right. Or I, I don't spend a while, or you know, and so that's why I'm talking about the difference in that ability to predict is that last statement becomes very important. Mm-hmm. So you can dance around as long as that last statement is right, yeah. Because that, or you give them escapes, you know, and that's what happened.
1: I was like the guy that found the holy grail last night. Like, <laughs> it, it, like the more I watched it, the more it just like a duck to water. It was like all of this makes perfect sense to me.
2: You're like, perfect. why didn't I, Why didn't I think of this? What
1: the hell? Well, no, I didn't think about it like that. I just thought, man, I got some salespeople in my organization that are good but not great. But I'm telling you, dude, if they took this and spent – how long does it normally take The average intelligent person to go through this course and this no time, man. Because literally, the first day they click on it and be reading it. It, Can they read? That's all it matters. Well, right. But I mean, just to get from step, you know, all the way down and learn, really learn it, like really learn it. Man, maybe, maybe a week with a couple of the training videos I got. So I've
2: got stuff out there really to dig into the weeds to make them understand the philosophy behind it and what I'm doing. I've got about four hours of content that tells them like every single question why I'm doing it. Right. Why i am asking it? What, what am I looking for here? Why am I doing it? Because a lot of people, that's what they need to make themselves move forward and to make a commitment to try it. You know, but once they do it, they see that kind of flows and it keeps them going where they need to. Here's what I'll tell you. I've had kids come to my office within the first month doing, uh, you know, a hundred, 200 transfers, live transfers to those more experienced people while they're getting their license. And then they get licensed in that first month. and the next month they're doing a hundred apps. I've had that happen probably 10 times i've had five staff members work for me do over a million in premium by themselves in a captive world where i'm 35 percent eligible right i mean it it works man it's crazy it's hard to explain and it's hard for people to understand unless they actually see it or see me doing it like in a live experience i think it's so much more effective when i literally pick random people i'll be in a room of 500 people say you good luck let's role play let's go everybody in here good luck let's beat me. let's go Right, and say, okay, what would you say different? And blah, blah blah, you know, and I can go back and forth with them because if I'm controlling the
1: conversation, then I know what's going to happen. You're basically a David Blaine magician, because <laughs> right. like because because when you call that person up there and you're like, hey, let's role play or let's roll, yeah, and and they start, you know, the questions, and based on those questions, you know, the only three or four responses they're going to say, and then you know what your response to those answers are going to be. And what's
2: crazy, what's even crazier is two questions before that, I know what they're going to say later. Right. Because I knew that I slid all this stuff off of the playing board, that they would sound like an idiot if they went back against themselves. Well, wait a minute. That's not what you just said. How did you change that?
1: There was one last night that I loved. Guys, write this down and do it. One thing he said last night in my three-hour session with him, which I feel like we've already done a podcast last night, he was talking about the decision-maker question. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: And how you take that off the table early on. Right. Because you say, you know, early on in the conversation, and I, and I can't remember the exact verbiage right now, but it was something like, you know, I, but hey, before we get going here, are you the decision-maker? No, see, that, that's different.
2: I wouldn't say are you because what does that leave open for us? Leaves no as a choice. Right. I'm sorry. Remember, you you yeah, there you go. I got you. So right, right, <laughs> right, yeah. Human beings are conditioned to say no, and that's what I always say. So imagine there if you're there in Huntsville, Alabama, and you go down to uh to the Dillard's. You know, you're walking through the Dillard's, and you know you're going to buy blue jeans. For me, I'm going to the short and round section back in the back, but you going in the normal person section.
0: You know you're going to buy blue jeans. <laughs> I don't know Scott's going to the normal person section. No, nah,
1: probably not. I think I look smaller on Zoom than I actually am.
0: I try to do some editing with
2: the video. It doesn't work. You're walking through the store. You know, we going to buy jeans. And what happens? That salesperson comes up to you and go, can I help you today? And you, what does everybody say? Nope, nope just nope, looking. Just looking. So that's what I call, that's that fight or flight dealing people where they just kind of extend their arm out to people. Right. And what I always say, watch, I'll show you the camera. You extend your arm out like this. And what I do, what I do is I basically take your arm and just kind of push it like that and take one little step closer to you. Right. And you're like, oh shit, okay. <laughs> What's happening? Right. So. With that process asking that question, I know that one of the most common common objections you're going to get at the end and really was that, that safety valve for those people or the prospects you're working with that they keep in their pocket that can help them escape if they need to, if they don't want to make a commitment right now. And the reason why they don't make the commitment is because you haven't created enough value for them yet. That's really why. But if they want to pull that escape, they go, well, I need to talk to my spouse or my dad or my cousin or brother. So if I do it early on in the first of the conversation by saying a simple statement because I'm listening to them as they're going in the beginning. If they can tell me names, address, telephone numbers, bid numbers, and all that kind of stuff about stuff, guess what? They know what's going on and make a decision, right? So I got to empower them to do that. So I'll say something simple. Hey, since you know all this stuff, I, I would assume that mm. you're a decision maker in the household. Would that be correct? And so there's a couple of things that can happen there too. What do you think are a couple of things that can happen even with that? Well, yeah, yeah, I am. Hell yeah, I am, right? <laughs> It's right, man. I wear the pants in this family and they're looking around to see if her wife's bombing right? Or are they going to say, no, they're not. Or are they going to kind of fumble like, well, I mean, I do kind of need to run it past, you know, my my husband or my my wife or whatever. So now's the time to attack that before you ever even get to that stuff and wipe that off the table by simply saying something like, if they said no, then I would go, okay, when's the person that does make decisions? Are they there? Can I get them on the phone? When can I talk to them? If not, I'm done with you. I ain't got no time to waste with you because I got a hundred other people that are decision makers that'll make a decision we can get done today. Or if they're kind of in between, then I'm going to do kind of a mental trick on them and I'm going to empower them to make them feel really cool. Like it's their choice that they're going to make and they're going to be big and bad and make the choice. Right? So I would say something like, well, so you need to talk to your husband. Hey, I got you. I totally understand that. A lot of people feel that way. I really, really understand that. Here's the deal. And I don't know if your spouse is like my spouse. I know for me personally, If I came home and told my wife, hey, I was talking to this insurance person today, they really helped me discover all these things that we had at risk that I didn't think about before. And I thought it was really important to me that we make sure we protected our family. I know my spouse personally, she would probably go right along with me. I'm sure yours is the same way, right? And so they're like, no, my spouse is two things. My spouse is an asshole, right? No. Or they're going to go, yeah, yeah, they probably would. But worst case scenario, I'll tell you what, no matter what, we get to the end, if you don't like it, you... You know, we're going to make a decision and get here. You can call me back and fire me when it's over. Because you whatever it is, you need to empower them to make that decision. Right. Or worst case scenario, at least empower them to go home and have the an argument with their spouse about it, not just be the whole deal where they go, you talk to this insurance guy. Yeah. Huh? Well, he said all that stuff. Okay, how much is it? Well, how much were we paying? Hell no, we ain't paying that. You know, that's that's what would happen if you don't do that.
1: Right. Man, I could sit here and talk to you all day long. Before we go, we got to wrap this podcast up today. Thank you so much for being here, Kurt. Yep, Tell sir. everybody how they can get in touch with you if they're interested in your system, which I find to be extremely effective. I think it's something that I want to try to implement here in our agency if I can. We're already well, using
0: uh, it every morning. My two yeah. new
1: guys—they
0: do Yellow Brick Road. They do uh, role playing every single right. morning.
1: Right. How can everybody get in touch with you, Kirk? And, and how can they get this program? It's pretty easy. It's ybrscripts.com.
2: So YBR stands for Yellowbrick road and scripts with a S.com. And I can see the program, see what's on there. Then off of there's YBR training with live events and online events that I'll do virtual events, I guess. Also, uh, the book, the Yellowbrick road of Insurance phone sales, it's all over the place on Amazon or on there. You can find it. I got all kinds of stuff, man.
1: Man, That's awesome. Well, dude, I, I really, really appreciate you being on the podcast guys. I hope you got something out of this. If you got producers that are struggling, I mean, you can get on your agency management system. You can see what people's uh, quote-to-buying ratios are. If you got people dropping down into that teens, 20s, even 30s, I would do some serious praying on whether or not you need to have this system or not because I can see if they're willing to buy in and learn it and really, really take it to heart, that they could sell more insurance, which then provides more money for their family and all the things I'm about to talk about here at the end of the podcast. So remember what I always say, guys, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today. Stop shuffling paperwork. Stop looking at your damn scorecard bonus. Go out into the big bad world and meet people, build relationships, pick up the phone, start making calls. Make money for your family, for your wife, for your husband, for your kids' college fund, and for your parents that are struggling out there today. And write good business for the companies that you represent and write good business for the agencies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you.
0: Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Kirk.
1: Thank you, man. Thank you, guys. I appreciate y'all. It's a good time. Kirk, I love you too, brother. You guys are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast and we'll be back real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at iprotectins at gmail.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to bradleyflowersinsurance.com or email him at bradley at com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to being with you again real soon on the next episode of the Insurance Guys. Take care.